you may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. It was the greatest rivalry in the history of racing. All the Formula One stars, alongside all the sports car heroes, drove in it. The most dangerous sporting event of any kind. Two titans of the automobile industry waged war at the biggest race in the world. It was the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Death was almost routine at racetracks. When you got in the car, you had to be ready to die. But the car that would win is the car that people wanted to buy. By the mid-1960s, the name of the game at Le Mans had become Beat Ferrari. Ford had nothing that could compete. We didn't have that performance that customers wanted. Henry sees a Ferrari win and says, we need those red cars. He felt the easiest way to do it was just to buy Ferrari. Ferrari said no. That's when he decided, we're going to beat you, and we're going to beat you at your own game in your backyard. The GT40 is furiously fast. When they went to bigger engines, uh, all of a sudden, all the drivers were smiling. And that's when we started seeing some real speeds. Cars were running quick, but we had all kinds of engine problems. With the race only one third through, the Ford Challenge had been shattered by Ferrari. Henry Ford II was pissed. He made it very clear that we were not going to fail again. The Ford-Ferrari rivalry, that is the golden age of racing. There were two great enemies that were going to have some great races. There's been a great battle, a great fight. It's really a part of the history of, of motor racing. People all over the world were watching this one race. Who was going to win it? Hi, everybody. This is Bob Barsha with Fox Sports. Normally, I'm at the racetrack with the Barrett-Jackson auctions for television. But if I'm not, I'm going to be listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I hope you will, too. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Reading Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan, talk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page, Nostalgic Video and Cars. And go ahead, and yes, we are. We're live on YouTube, aren't we, Tommy? How you doing this evening? Oh, that is correct. I'm doing great. How are you, Robert? I'm hanging in there. We are streamed live, and we are on YouTube. And uh, Going into year number 10. I'm going into year number 10, Nostalgic Video and Cars. Yes, we have just celebrated our third, this is our third show since our nine-year reunion. So that means less than... Uh, a year from now, it'll be 10. We'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary. So uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So um, anyway, let's go right into the FLA Car Shows Minute because I was actually snooping around here just to see what kind of car shows are going on. If you want to find out where all the car shows are and everything that's going on as far as car show-related fun events, definitely check out flacarshows.com. A lot of cool stuff going on. Still... The summer's not quite hit us yet, and I'm a little surprised that the... Actually, I'm impressed that the weather hasn't been too muggy yet. You know, a little little here and there, but uh, for the most part, pretty decent. We were up in Crystal River over the... Or not Crystal River. We were in Citrus County over the weekend. It was pretty nice up there. There's a couple car show things going on up there. They have those, uh, the regular events, uh, Fridays and Saturdays. They have their car meetups and stuff like that. And I think the last Saturday or Sunday of the month, and I missed it, um, they have uh, a, kind of like a Cars and Coffee at the Cattle Dog... Cattle... Cattle something cafe. I should shame on me. I know I'm going to get a phone call here in a minute. Someone's going to be correcting me, saying, How, "Can't you ever get anything straight?" Um, yeah, uh, something that uh, that I was at an event that I was at, I participated in, and uh, I know that I usually get that pretty straight. For the most part, yeah, you know, I fly by the seat of my pants. I wing it. Anyway, um, what else is going on? Well, I didn't do anything particular this weekend other than tinker with my car. I was working on Miss Money Penny. Kind of did a nice little detailed job. Bobby and I um, washed and waxed and detailed and cleaned up all the vehicles this weekend. You know, every once in a while you got to do that. It's very, very important to maintain your vehicles. You know, it's uh, it's an extension of you, your personality. You know, if your stuff looks like doo-doo, then, uh, you know, it's you, you, people get the perception. You know, it's kind of like if you're walking around uh, Walmart and you got an ankle bracelet on and tattoos all over you and half your teeth are missing out of your skull. Mm, it's a perception thing. Right, Tommy? No. <laughs> the reason I brought that up is because such a character was meandering through uh, Walmart the other day while I was looking for uh, some little odds and ends I needed. But at any rate, uh, back to the car stuff. Uh, like, for example, I have to do appraisals on cars. I do diminished values and total losses. And I've got a claim right now that I'm working on, and I'm really trying to help the guy out. But when your car doesn't really, you know, it's uh, even in spite of the fact that it's wrecked, it's a condi- you know, a condition report, CR reports are condition reports. This, the, the condition of the car is like a 2.5. Even if it was running, driving, going down the road, it's, it's uh, 2.5. You know, it's just a, this is a sad piece. You got to take care of your cars because, especially if you got a claim, insurance companies are not dumb. I mean, I'm not in their fan club naturally, but uh, you know, because the insurance company's goal is not to pay you. But if you miss your payment by two hours, you're going to get a 10 day notice and a cancellation notice and a delinquent fee notice, and that's just the way it works. You know, so sadly they uh, have us over a barrel because it's corporate America. Not that I'm, I'm a pro business pro-free uh, enterprise kind of guy, but I'm not a big fan of uh, the way corporate America behaves themselves these days. So, and uh, enough said, since we try to avoid politics in this and in, in, on our show. But because I deal with insurance companies all the time, I'm definitely uh, going round and around with them. 
And uh, so, you know, the best thing to do is always take care of your car. I mean, I'm doing a, uh, a 2017 Ford Focus RS. Pretty trick little piece. Had a little bit of a mishap. But the car was in absolutely stunning condition. I mean, it is showroom new, spick and span, spotless. So when you go to assess that car, it looks really good. And the insurance guy is going to look at it and he goes, well, you know, I guess this guy does take pretty good care of his car. And you will probably get a little bit more, or it will at least be easier to get a little bit more more money out of them, you know, closer to what, kind of what you're anticipating, you know, when you're trying to collect on a, on a loss of any kind, you know, when you're trying to get yourself indemnified, which is the term they use in that insurance world. But when your car is really, really edgy, you know, unfortunately, it's I have a hard time making a, a, a strong argument in your favor. I mean, if the car is kind of rare and unique, like in particular in in this particular case, it's a Corvette. Yeah, okay, it's a Corvette. It's a Roadster. He's got that going for him. But overall, you know, when you've got three ball tires and one good tire, and your paint's peeling off your car, and you got two cigarette burns in the top, and numerous cigarette burns in the seats, and the seats are shredded. Mm, it's hard to give that car a really, really, really strong condition report, you know, and, and I do the best I can, you know, I try to make, I can kind of in your favor say, well, you know, the guys, it's a work in progress, you know, he put one tire on it, um, he waxed part of the car and changed the oil and put a set of exhausts on it and uh, some springs and miscellaneous things like that. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, you fix things as they go, kind of like, what really needs it most, you know? I mean, if your shock's ready to fall off the car, obviously replace the shocks. If you've got one really, really, really bad tire, but you can't afford all four, definitely put the one tire on it. So you have to kind of look at it from that standpoint. But unfortunately, the insurance company doesn't look at it that from that standpoint. And I go up against these appraisers all the time. And, you know, sometimes I just, as my son puts it, and Bobby's probably listening, if your knuckles are white, do not hit the send button. Right, Tommy? If your knuckles are white, do not hit the send button. And this is what I typically do when I get these letters and these responses off of uh, some of my reports um, going around and around the insurance company. I really, truly am. I, I'm in the car business. This is what I do. I'm a licensed independent car dealer in the state of Florida. I buy, I sell, I trade, I barter, I wheel and deal. It's my hustle, okay, as they say on the street. That's kind of what I know. I'm not an insurance guy. It's not my job to read your uh, declaration of your your insurance policy to kind of define to to kind of explain it to you because a that's not my responsibility and I have liability issues if I do that so I'm not going to do that you need to make sure that your insurance agent explains to you and I cannot overemphasize that people please read your policies and uh, find out what you can and can't do and what is and is not covered I got a customer right now that got hit by a poor kid that's just trying to get by, make a little extra bucks, go through college, driving a pizza delivery vehicle, his own vehicle with a little, uh, you know, pizza hut thingy on the roof or whatever it was, some sort of pizza joint thing, a little sharky thing to say. Well, he accidentally swung wide in a turn and kind of clipped this lady who happens to be a, a friend of a friend of a customer of mine. Well, naturally, they didn't do, uh, uh, because in Florida, I think, unless it's a life or death situation, I think the way the law reads right now, you don't necessarily have to call for a, a police um, unless the car's immobile, um, you know, you, have to, you don't have to call for the police and get an accident report and all that kind of stuff, which I kind of think it's probably not a bad idea just to cover yourself, particularly if it's severe body work, you know. Um, not that it, the car's crippled, but it could be a hard hit. You know, what we call a, there's minor and there's um, um, uh, moderate car crashes, okay. So I think that's a term, that's actually a term that the insurance company uses. But, so, the, so when the guy filed the claim to get 
against the, the at-fault driver, his insurance company comes back and says, no, we're not covering his car because he was using the vehicle for work purposes. So basically what they're saying is if you use your car for Uber, for uh, bite, bite, uh, bite, whatever that thing's called, um, bite squad, yeah, I think that's what it is, and uh, or your you know pizza delivery or, car or, or anything of that nature, your apparently, and again, I didn't look at mine because I don't, I don't even know now. i got to check mine. But your vehicle is not covered uh, under those circumstances by your insurance policy. Well, that's not right. You know, insurance companies take full advantage of, of everybody, and, you know, it's, it's the agent who really is liable because they need to make you aware of everything you can and can't do. And a lot of them are just unqualified. I sat in an insurance class for about six weeks, uh, learn, um, an adjuster's class, and I was just amazed. I mean, these guys just work in an insurance company. They get $9, $10 an hour, and they're just sitting there, you know, punching a computer and spitting paper out. So they have no idea what they're doing. And they have absolutely no car experience. Now, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to have car experience if you're selling insurance. If you're on the adjuster side and you're dealing with wrecks every day, as in the case, which is what I do, you better know what you're doing. Um, but, you know, it's getting to the point right now, all the insurance company does is they just plug in your car, take a picture of it, and now they can scan it. And this is what's coming. This is what scares the little daylights out of me, is the computer's just going to spit out a bunch of information based on some sort of little program that some guy created, and it's going to tell you what's wrong with your car and what it needs. You don't really know 100% until you tear the car apart. You don't know what anything's like until you get into it. Same thing. I don't care if you're fixing your house, if you're fixing your car, fixing your stereo, fixing your computer. You don't know exactly what's wrong until you get in and start tearing things apart because then you find out, oh, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. Um, Probably in a few minutes, Alan's going to call and he's going to give me a dissertation on that. But nonetheless, you know, if if it comes to that, we're in big trouble. Again, I have it tough enough dealing with, with, with these adjusters that are really they're not qualified to do their job. They really aren't. The majority of them aren't. If I, if, if I went on in detail on some of the letters that I get, it just ama- when, when an insurance agent tells me that my report's flawed, uh, I got an issue with that. You know, now it's, now it becomes personal. It's a war. You know, my stuff's pretty well documented. I mean, I have comparables, I, black book numbers, uh, auction numbers, markups. The only thing I cannot put in a report, which is the same, and, and neither can an insurance company, Unless I have actual knowledge of actual sales, in other words, outside of my business, if I sold it, I have the, the, the records. Anything else, anything, I don't care what Ford dealership, or what Chevrolet dealership, what Porsche dealership, what Dodge dealership, what Mopar, what uh, Toyota, Honda, Kia, or whatever, their sales are proprietary information. They're not going to tell me what they sold the car for. Okay, and so the only thing, everything else is a guess. So the insurance company, obviously, is going to try for the lowest number. I'm going to try for the highest number, and hopefully we can reach... A equitable solution that makes everybody kind of happy. So that's my dissertation on that this evening. Uh, I think Tommy's going to fire up the stereo. And uh, here's probably a fitting song. This is done by the Yardbirds back in the 60s when Jeff Beck was still a member. And it's called, Mr. You're a Better Man Than I. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. He wears. Can you see a bad man by the pattern on his tie? Well, then, Mister, you're a better man than I. Yeah, Mister, you're a better man than I. Oh, Mister, you're a better man than I. Yeah, Mister, you're a better man than I. Could you tell a wise man by? Speaks or 
this more important than the stories that he tells? And call a man a fool if all wealth he doesn't strive. Then, mister, you're a better man than I. Yeah, mister, you're a better man than I. Well, mister, you're a better man than I. Yeah, mister, you're a better man. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Okay, we're back, and uh, turning into Nostalgic Radio Cars, and uh, one of the things I was going to tell you is, I got corrected, and it's called the Cattle Dog Cafe, no, Cattle Dog Coffee Roasters, Cars and Coffee up there, and uh, it's in, eh, I guess it's called La Canto, and uh, it's a pretty good bunch of cars, casual car guys, just, uh, just a real weird mix of cars, and you would be amazed how many cars are up in the uh, Crystal River, Hernando County area. Pretty cool. Anyway, uh, tonight is the second, um, actually it's the first of our consecutive two-part series. We've never done this before. I've always had a guest on, and uh, sometimes we've had them on, you know, maybe a year later or two years later or six months later or whatever. But this is the first time we've actually done a two-part series, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. So um, that should be a good show. And we're having Alan Grant come back on. And Alan Grant was uh, probably one of the more successful factory team race car drivers for Carroll Shelby. So that was pretty cool. And uh, I was just reading, I pulled up, there's a website, and it's called uh, Racing Sports Cars. And uh, basically what it does is you can kind of type in a, a race car, a racing team, a driver, and it will give you kind of stats on it. So for example, in uh, Alan Grant's case, he started in 1962 in SCCA, or at least as information goes back that far. And uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and then he raced all the way up until 1967. He raced in Trans Am too. So, uh, and obviously he raced at Daytona. He raced at Sebring and Le Mans. And Le Mans, by the way, the 24-hour Le Mans is next month, and I believe it's generally in the middle of the month. Now May. Wait a minute. Did we already have the Daytona, the uh, Indy 500? Was that was that last weekend? It's always Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, my yeah, I think it happened on Sunday. It happened on Sunday. Now, you, you know, my bad. Bad, Robert. Um, I'm not a big IndyCar fan. I'm not a really a big open car guy. Now, I do follow F1 a little bit because I grew up in in uh, out west and in Europe, and Formula One was kind of like the deal. The early IndyCars I kind of like. The IndyCars today, 
I'm not really a big fan because it's too much like spec racing. You know, it's kind of like NASCAR. NASCAR's gone spec racing, and I'm not a fan of spec racing. I understand how it works, and it's all about the drivers, and you're trying to keep the contain the cost and everything like that, but it's still out of control because the average guy out there can't race. In fact, really the only racing that anybody can do, you know, nowadays, I mean, short of vintage racing or maybe some SCCA stuff, you know, which is still relatively affordable if you want to get into road racing, but drag racing, drag racing is pretty real. And it's pretty affordable because you pretty much run what you brung, you know. Um, and, uh, I mean, other than, you know, if you run the f- faster than, I think, 10-something, if you're in a 9-something index, you got to run a um, fire system and you got to have some sort of trick. To, or maybe it's 11-something, you know. Um, still have to have a brain bucket on you or a, hand, a helmet. But I don't remember all the rules. Uh, one of these days I'll probably have my good buddy Tim from Tim's Performance call in because he's a drag racer. And uh, I just did a little street racing because I was a notorious street racer in Pinellas County, particularly Clearwater. And uh, I did uh, track time a little bit, but it's more exciting to drag race or street race. But, hey, we can't do that anymore like we used to. So I think you got a comment? How about a guess at what the Indy 500 winner wins? Uh, a bottle of milk. <laughs> I, I think he does get that. <laughs> what? I don't know. How he- about How about $2.6 million? $2.6 million for winning the Indy 500. That's Simon a, Pagano, is that a ring a bell? Uh, no, I don't, like I said, I don't even know who some of these young drivers are. I mean, they, uh, you know, my bad, but, um, you know, everybody sits there and chews me out and says, oh, you don't follow racing, you're not a diehard Ford uh, racer kind of guy. And I say, yeah, I am. But, I mean, I, you know, everybody has a, you know, I like vanilla, you like chocolate. I like road racing. So ask me about who, who's going to, who's campaigning at Le Mans. Ask me who runs Daytona and Sebring. I'll probably know that. Maybe even some of the drag racers I know. But IndyCar and Round Round, even NASCAR, um, not, you know, I don't really uh, watch a lot of that, so I don't really know much. And then besides, I'm, a, I'm not so much, a, my loyalty is not so much to the, to the driver as it is to the car. I'm a Ford guy, so I want to see Fords win. Uh, I like Porsches. I want to see Porsches win. I like Aston Martins. I want to see those guys win. I mean, I like to mix it up a little bit, but it's not like it was in the old days. In the old days, you had, you know, Porsches, Triumphs, Jaguars, Heelys, Tigers, um, you know, everybody was out there. Ferrari obviously was out there. Chevrolet was out there. Ford was out there. Mopar was out there. Everybody was out there running around on the road race course, you know. But today, you know, a lot of the uh, economy kind of cars are not out there campa- campaigning because racing is expensive, you know. So anyway, I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire up that uh, – let me make sure I covered everything. Oh, one thing that's real important. The new movie's coming out, and I think it opens up sometime in the middle of June, okay, and it's called The Ford versus Ferrari – uh, or Ford versus Ferrari Wars or whatever. And it's very fitting because it all started at Le Mans. And that's when Ford says, we're going to win one of these days. And, of course, Carroll Shelby's famous quote is, next year Ferrari's ass is mine. And that was in 1964, and he did exactly that in 1965. In the meantime, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Reading Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with our special guest for the evening.
We had cars were managing problems, all cars were painted. With the uh, true race, only one plunge had been shot. The Ford Challenge by Ferrari. With the second was Henry. F he pissed. We were not going to fail. It made it very clear that we can't. Rivalry. That Ford Ferrari right. age of racing is the golden age. True. There was the were great enemy, great racist. We're going to have some great battle. There's been a is it right? Part of really of motor history. People all over racing. Watching this one over the world will watch who is going to race. Hi, everybody. Fox Sports. Hi, this is Etzel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening and part two of the interview with the legendary factory Shelby team race car driver, Alan Grant. Alan, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, thank you. So, when I talked to you earlier this afternoon, you were hanging out at the airport in Texas, and then you uh, were on your way to Arkansas. So, tell us about what's going on in Arkansas. Okay, uh, my good friend Jeff Yurkovich, uh is putting on this show by, it's actually the Midwest Blue Oval Sport Club. And... Uh, Jeff just stepped out. He'll be right back in. Uh, and that's my first time here. I've heard about it for years, and it's been going on, I think, for 30-some years. And uh, uh, Jeff will be right here to tell you about it. Okay, well, super. In the meantime, uh, you got any good lies, tales, and stories for us? I mean, what have you been up to in the last, uh, since last week? You know, we, the, where, we, where we stopped last week is, I think you were talking about something going on, some street racing or whatever it was. In Mad no, I know what it was. You were talking about Bill Mitchell's Cheetah. And, uh, right. And then, you know, the other thing I, I was doing, I was looking up your, uh, I, I'm on this website called Racing Sports Cars. And, of course, it's a website where you can find out about race cars, racing teams, car drivers and stuff. And I did not know, according to this, you raced in uh, Trans Am in 1967 with uh, a Mustang with uh, Mr. Minter, who was uh, used to race part-time for, for Shelby, too, right? That is correct. In fact, I had gone back to college, and uh, and so uh, they had a race at Cross Landing Airfield, which is about 20 miles west of Modesto, and Milton called up and wanted to know if I'd be available to co-drive with him, and I said, absolutely, and uh, unfortunately, we got out there, we practiced in the car, and he went out on the first uh, stint, and uh I can't remember exactly what happened to the car, but bottom line is that that, that was the only race that, that I was really involved with on the Trans Am. Okay, so it and was... And by the way... Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Jeff Yurkovich just come back, so it might be a good transition right now that Jeff, they want to know a little bit about this, this event and what's going on, how long it's been going on, and et cetera. Sure, ask me what you want to know. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Uh, welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You're live. We're also on YouTube. We're all in all uh, all over the place, and we're streaming live on the internet. But anyway, so now I'm real familiar with uh, uh, all my boys out there in Oklahoma with the uh, mid mid America or the mid mid Florida Shelby meet thing. So I'm not aware of your event. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? Because you've been going on for almost as long, I guess, right? Well, you know, this event has gone on for 32 years. Uh, 
I got to say, I was involved in the Mid America uh, event uh, since its inception. I was there at the original picnic when it started, and um, I was lucky enough to uh, be in the right place at the right time in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, where I was able to uh, take over from the guy that started this event 32 years ago. Uh, I took it over five years ago. We have expanded it from a one-day car show into into Mustang Week, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Wow. Okay. So now, what is Eureka Springs, Arkansas? Where is it, and what is it known for? Eureka Springs is in northwest Arkansas. It's about 45 minutes outside of Rogers or Bentonville, Arkansas. Bentonville, Arkansas is known for Walmart. J.B. Hunt, and Tyson Chicken. Okay. Uh, We're close to a lot of big things, but Eureka Springs, Arkansas is not a big town, per se. It's known for its springs. That's how it was born. There was 65 springs that were found in this area. It's buried on a mountainside in uh, the uh, uh, Ozark Mountains. Uh, Its population is 2,000 and... 30. What makes it interesting is that its hotel rooms available are 2,062. Say that again? The population of Eureka Springs, Arkansas right. is 2,030. Right. But its hotel rooms available in the town is 2062. Oh, so you are definitely a tourist-oriented city or town. This, this town is where you want to go. There is probably one million motorcyclists come through this town every year to tour the roads. The roads and the driving ability out here is absolutely incredible. Interesting. Now, is there a racetrack close by? There is not. It's the roads that you drive on. Okay. So my next question is, is since Rob Walton owns one of the original Daytona Cobras, Coupes, and, or he used to, I don't know if he still does or not, and he's an avid car guy, does he participate in your events by any chance? Can he what? Is Rob participating in this event? No, he has not. Uh... When I took it over, this event had been uh, pretty much uh, non-promoted, non-run down. And, and we started promoting it from a one-day car show to a four-day driving event. We've got driving events starting on Thursday uh, where we do road events. Uh, it might be as simple as a uh, we do a, a fuel mileage cruise. We do our fuel mileage run. We do a uh, a cruise, a trivia cruise. Uh, the largest cat preserve in the United States is in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Uh, we'll tour that. Uh, there's a, a Harry Potter castle out here where we'll have our dinner banquet at. There is uh, so many unique events. Uh, that go on in Eureka Springs. Uh, the Rhythm and Blues Festival goes on this weekend with live bands. 
the most haunted hotel in the United States is in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Wow. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Let me ask you this. Of the participants, how many participants show up at this particular event? Well, uh, i got to say, when I took it over back uh, five years ago, we had like 60 cars show up. Okay. And it was a Saturday event. And so I promoted it a little bit, and we had a Friday night get-together, a meet-and-greet, kind of hamburgers, hot dogs, and then we did a Sunday cruise. Since I've started promoting that, uh, uh, as we put it on, it has become an event that has been, we expect, 400-plus cars. We should uh, exceed uh, our cruises are booked at 100 cars a cruise uh, for the event. People plan to stay here for five days and do all the activities we have going on. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. What is the uh, average age group of the cars? Are they more vintage? Is it a more contemporary? Is it a mix? What's uh, What type of cars show up there? Are in the past, and then what's your anticipation this year? We have a lot of vintage cars that show up. Okay. I've got a lot of original Shelbys that show up. Uh, this year we have the, uh, uh, you know the name Dick Trickle? Oh, yeah. NASCAR okay. guy. Well, Dick Dick Trickle drove a 69 Mustang back in the day. It, it was the A&W root beer car that he won. I want, I don't quote me exactly, but I think it was 58 feature events back in the day. And that car is coming in. Uh, the original Dick Trickle car has been restored, and it'll be here for everybody to look at in the A&W root beer car. It will be here all weekend for everybody to view and see. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Now, Alan Grant is your guest of, Arshler, uh, guest of honor, Grand Marshal, for this event? He's our Grand Marshal, guest of honor. Give him every accolade you can think of. He's it. Okay. Well, super. <laughs> super. Super. Well, Jeff, now wait a minute. Now, from what I understand, what Alan was telling me, you have a restoration shop. So tell us about your restoration shop and how people can find out about you and the event. All right. Let me, let me just add, before he gets into it, that, okay. that uh, Jeff is probably the foremost, most respected uh, early Mustang restorer in the world. Okay. Jeff, what is the name ahead, of your... Jeff. What is the name of your company, your uh, restoration facility? My company is R&A Motorsports. R&A stands for Restore and Appraisal. Okay. Uh, we have uh, uh, basically set up a business to restore classic Shelbys and Mustangs. Uh, we do a lot of family heirlooms and things of that nature, but uh, we specifically get into details and doing everything we can, the best that we can do. Uh, I have two cars sitting in the museum at, in uh, Boulder, Colorado at the Shelby American Collection. Oh, wow. Uh, we've done cars all I'm doing a car right now for a guy in London. Uh, we're doing uh, cars for people all over the United States. What's the most notable so, car uh, that you've... Res- just, Go ahead, I'm sorry. What? No, uh, just cars that we've done that... Uh, over the years, there's so many dimensions. Uh, we've been a car manufacturer. We actually own the trademarks for Twister Special and Dominator GT. 
really? which we actually produced the Twister Special Mustang, reproduced it uh, again in 2008 and 2009. Uh, so we're a manufacturer of cars along with doing the restoration. Excellent. So what's the most notable car that you've restored so far? There's so many, it's hard to say. Well, you just tell me about one that was like one of one. So what was that car? That was a... Well, we did the only... In 1967, there was three cars bought by Shelby American. One was a coupe, one was a convertible, and one was a, uh, a hard top. Everybody knows the hard top is Little Red. Right. Which was found in... Uh, uh, Texas. By, uh, Craig Jackson. Barrett Jackson. Uh, also, there was the uh, the hard top is out of uh, uh, Colorado. I know the guy that owns it, but the convertible, uh, we actually uh, got to do the restoration. It was the promo car for the 68 version of the Shelby, and we restored it to its 68 version. Mm-hmm. Not it, it was never in 67 trim. It was the it, it was the mule car for the '68 Shelby convertible, and we restored that car. Yes, and that car, I believe, is in a private collection in South Florida, isn't it? It is. Okay, super. So, if people want to find out more about you, Jeff, how do they go about doing it? And then, uh, if they want to find out about the event, how do they go about doing that as well? Well, uh, the event is uh, Midwest dot club. Okay. Uh, that's a place to look for the event and what's going on here. Um, as far as uh, getting with uh, RNA Motorsports, it's rnamotorsports.com. Uh, our website is currently being remodeled, so it should be up here in the next week. But that's rnamotorsports.com. And that's a dash, not an underscore, uh, when you go in there. Uh, and, and we're happy to help anybody with any of their needs. Super, super. Well, I wish you guys the uh, best of luck at your event, and uh, maybe one of these days I'll make it out there. I'd like to check it out. I'm kind of, you know, me being a Shelby guy and one of the state reps for the Shelby Club for SAC and uh, a longtime Shelby guy anyway. So uh, definitely where there's a Shelby at and a new event, I'm always looking forward to it. And your community there, your little town there, uh, sounds really interesting. I'd like to uh, check that out as well. And uh, I want to see what it's like to see a town. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it's a destination point. Uh-huh. Mustang, the, pre- the the past president of the Mustang Club of America is coming in tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, they want me to put on a national event next year for the Mustang Club of America. It's centrally located, which drags more people in than anywhere else in the United States. Uh, you know, the activities that we've got going on now, yet, although they're not road events, there is road events that we can do out through the pig trail and through other other activities not a road racing event which makes it more beneficial to the wives kids things of that nature uh makes it a little more fun for people to come out and enjoy times and and what we've got going on okay sounds uh sounds interesting i'm definitely gonna have to put that on my calendar in the meantime i want to thank you for we'd love to have you out Okay, super. Uh, thank you very much. Let me get back to Alan since uh, we're trying to do our two-part two part here. So uh, I want to get Alan on here and pick his brain a little bit more and have him tell us some more stories. Alan, are you handy? I sure am. All right. So uh, one of the cars that I wanted to talk about that you actually were kind of 
you have a direct connection with. And since uh, the movie Ford versus Ferrari is coming out and Le Mans is running around, the 24-hour Le Mans is right around the corner, there was a car that was real significant in the, uh, in the Ford um, history books, and that was the Ford GT. But you had the opportunity while you were in England to check out the original Lola GT um, by Eric Broadley. That was his original concept car that Ford saw, and then that was the car that kind of eventually morphed into the Ford GT. So tell us a little bit about that story. Yes, uh, when I went to Europe in 1965, I went as a, as a driver, you know, with the Daytona Coupes and, and also a mechanic on the Ford uh, GT40. Uh, and so, consequently, uh, we were I was working on the Ford GTs in Slough, England, uh, at Ford Advanced Vehicles, which is right adja- adjacent to Lola Cars. And so, uh, it was one long building, but it was a separation, and there was a door in between. And I got to know the managing director there, because if I needed some pop rabbits or needed to borrow a tool or whatever, so I got to know uh, the managing director. And so uh, one day I was over there, and I was I noticed over in the corner there was a uh, a car with a you know a bedspread over the top of it, and I know, I recognized the shape, and I asked him, I says I said Rob, is is that the Lola GT? And he says yes, it is. I said, do you mind if I look at it? And he said no, help yourself. And so I went over there, and of course when that car first came out, it was the star of the London Racing Car Show in January 63. And it was written up by every magazine throughout the world. And when that came out and I saw these pictures, I thought it was the most beautiful car I'd ever seen. And so consequently, uh, I, I, excuse me a second. Consequently, uh, uh, I went back to him and I said, I said, Rob, I said, do you think Eric would consider selling this car? And uh, he says, well, if ever he would, it'd be now. He says, uh, I need the space because they had just come out with the T-70 uh, Can-Am car, and it was extremely popular, and they had a lot of orders. And, and he says, furthermore, we could use the money. He says, make me an offer. And I went back and counted every penny I'd get my hand on, <laughs> and I came up with $3,000. And he says, okay. He says, uh, Eric's going to call in tonight. Eric is over in Indianapolis. That was before he had gotten into Indy cars, and uh, and uh, he'll be calling in tonight. And so I didn't sleep all night, and I went in the next morning bright and early, and Rob says, well, Alan, he says, you bought yourself a car under one condition. And I said, well, what's that? He says, Eric would really like to have that car you know, out of here before he gets back because he really wanted to keep that car for his personal car as a road car. And so that's why I ended up with that car. Really? That's a very interesting story. So, in other words, Eric Broadley uh, did not want to sell it, but he decided to sell it. And then, But the condition was you had to get the car out of there in case he saw it when he walked in or he'd fall in love with it again. Is that kind of how I understand that? Or how I read into it? That's exactly right. And of course, uh, the, the other part of the story is, obviously, I think we shared the fact that, you know, Ford and that in the uh, early 60s, realized that they did not have a performance image like Chevrolet. And so that Henry Ford II and his key people decided they need to establish a racing image and a performance image. And so they had a three-point uh, uh, program. They wanted the number one, win the NASCAR championship, which they did with Holman and Moody. Number two, they wanted to win Indianapolis, which they did with Lotus and Jimmy Clark. 
Number three, they wanted to win Le Mans. And so that's when uh, the uh, Enzo ended up, you know, sent, sent some feelers out that he might be interested in selling the company. And, and so Henry thought that he had had it bought until he sent his accountants and his attorneys over and spent a week with Enzo. And, and uh, finally Enzo uh, was a little nervous and he asked a question. He says, if I want to race Indy and Ford Motor Company doesn't, you know, who prevails? And, of course, they said Ford will. And he says, forget it. Get out of here. And so that really pissed off the deuce. And that's when he basically sent his people to uh, Le Mans to assess what the competition was. And the number two car, uh, Lola, was actually driven by David Hobbs and uh, did extremely well. And the 14, which included Shelby uh, and Roy Lund, uh, they all of a sudden they realized, my goodness, this is almost identical to the car that, you know, that we want to build. Because, again, it was designed around the small block board. And so, consequently, their next step was to contact Broadley in London. So they went to London. They made a deal with Broadley to put him on a two-year contract. They bought my car. They bought the number two car, which is the Hobbs drove. And, uh, uh, and they basically used my car as the standard. They took the Hobbs car, and they basically took the suspension, took it back to Dearborn, ran it through the computer, uh, and they, they wanted to get some anti-dive in it. So they made up some anti-dive, and then they actually tested the car at Goodwood. They uh, tested at Snetterton. They took it down to, well, to Italy. And I've got a book that was a confidential memorandum. It was written in November of 1963, where they basically showed every single test lap that Bruce McLaren was one of the drivers, Rory Salvadori was one of the drivers, Eric Broadley was one of the drivers. And every lap was recorded in time, and it's got pictures of my car, it's got the pictures of the number two car, it's got pictures of the the, the GT, and it's basically, it just tells the whole story, which I just told you, which is just uh, phenomenal. But the irony of it was, is that last year, the Cobra Club of Orange County, Cobra yeah, of Orange County had a big show. And Gurney was there with the, the Mark IV that, that he won uh, at Le Mans in, in 67. Uh, they had a Mark I. They had a Mark. They had my Lola, which is considered the, the prototype. Uh, they had a Mark I. They had a Mark II. They had a Mark III, which was the streetcar. They had a Mark IV, which Gurney and Foyt won in 67. And a guy came up to me, and he said, Alan, he says, you know what? He says, I've got a book that you might be interested in. And I says, okay. And so he basically pulled out this old briefcase and we went over and sat down. And he pulled out this book. It's about three quarters of an inch thick. And uh, I looked at it, and it basically it was a, a, a the a report that Roy Lund, who was in charge of the entire project, you know, recaps exactly what had happened. And it had all the test results and had all the pictures, et cetera, et cetera. And I asked him, I said, very interesting. In fact, as I turned the pages, I saw my picture of my car. I saw a picture of the early cars. They had a picture of the Ferrari competition. And this was a confidential board memorandum. And this, Carol Shelby was on the distribution list. It was Carol Shelby. And this particular copy was Carol Shelby's personal copy. And it has his name written on the front of it. And so I said to him, I said, uh, what do you want for it? And uh, I said, what are you going to do with it? He says, well, I want to sell it. I said, what are you asking for? 
And he says, well, he says, uh, I think it's worth $5,000. I said, ooh, uh, $5,000 for this old book? And uh, and so he says, yeah. I said, well, I kind of thought for a while, and I said, what if I paid you cash? He said, oh, no, it's got to be cash. <laughs> so anyhow, I thought, I said, my goodness sakes, I mean, this verifies my car. I mean, just absolutely and so I finally said, well, I don't have 5000 cash on me. I just can't come by the office. And even then, over by Riverside, he came by the next day. So I have that book, which is that uh, I've actually got it in my safe deposit box. I've since scanned it all, but it's, it's, uh, it's got the history that is just incredible. That is a that was a long long answer to a short question. No, but I mean, even though we only have a couple minutes left, but I mean, that is a fascinating story because I had the honor of seeing that car at the Quail about two and a half, three years ago, because uh, it was on display there, and I was, I saw the car, and I'd only seen the car in, in, in pictures, and as soon as I saw it and recognized the Ford Cortina taillights, I think it's got in it, I thought, holy right. Christ, that's the car, and, uh, but I, I, I knew that you were involved in it, but I did not know that you owned that car for a long, long, long period of time, th- um, throughout the 60s. and four years. Yeah. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So, who do you still have the car then, or somebody else have the car now? No, no, I have it. You know, and of course, I, I, you probably seen the Jay Leno show that right. did a half hour interview with the car, and then also Lord March sent me a personal email and in, in, in two thousand seventeen and said, "I understand you have it. He says, is there any way possible we can get it at the Festival of Speed and the Revival?" I'm willing to pay to have it shipped over and shipped back and pay your expenses. And so we did that. Uh, and so in the meantime, you know, I've had the pleasure of showing it, you know, at several uh, places at La Jolla, Concourse de Elegance, et cetera, et cetera. That's totally amazing. That is a fascinating story. And that is a milestone car. Now, what I didn't know, or I don't remember, I forgot, but you said there was a second car. That was the one that Hobbs drove. How much different is that car yeah. than your car? Well, that car ended up uh, going to, uh, you know, obviously the weak point of that car was the Claudi Type 37 transaxle. And so when they were testing down at Monza, the car ended up being in Monza. Uh, and so consequently, it ended up, uh, uh, I forget the guy's name right now, but anyhow, it was in Italy for a long time. Al Francis ended up with the car. He was actually working for Cesarina. Uh, then a guy... And uh, he got transferred over to Kansas City. And there was a guy in Oklahoma that ended up buying the car. And he put a 4GT tail on it. So that was the original prototype of the 4GT. And I've got all that history and background of that car. Then the car ended up being sold to a guy in British Columbia. He raced it at at Westwood and crashed it. Put it in a container, sat there for 20 years. And then it was that somebody found it. Uh, They uh, ended up sending it over to England then uh, to have it rebuilt. And what they did is they, they wanted to run it at Le Mans Classic and the Le Mans races. And so they put on these big, huge wheels and big, huge tires and flared defenders. And, and it just, just totally destroyed the beauty of the car. That's and sad. it was actually bought by, by the guy by the name of Suzuki in Japan. And the third car was actually bought by John Meekham Jr. before Ford even got involved. And so... Augie Papps drove that car, and he ended up, you know, uh, racing it in England. And then all of a sudden, of course, Traco at the time was was, had, was taking these Chevy engines and was getting a lot of horsepower out of them. 
And so uh, Mecham put a, a, a Traco Chevrolet in it. Uh, and Augie Pass won a couple races down at uh, Alan. Bahamas. So. Alan, we are up against yes. the clock again. But I'll tell you what, I definitely want to have you back on the show again. we got to finish your stories because that's an extremely fascinating car. In the meantime, Alan, I want you to have uh, a super time out there in uh, Arkansas. Again, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm going to tell people to check out your website, which is alangrant.com, right? And uh, in the meantime, have fun out there, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show again. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Winning Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m., tell your friends, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and don't forget to, get, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.